So the series we've been doing is in 2 Corinthians specifically, which is a book of, in the New Testament. Um, and there's two, one's called 1 Corinthians, the other's called 2 Corinthians. We're in 2 Corinthians. Um, and we've been titling this um, The Way of Weakness. So, sorry, the, that weakness is the way. And um, you'll see what that sort of boils down to as I speak this morning in this particular passage. Um, I wanted to start with a story to say that I, uh, so like Paul was speaking to the church in Corinthians. So uh, Corinth is a place, right? It's in Greece. And I've been there twice. And I was very excited to share um, some of my experience from that. So um, when I was younger, (laughs) I went there um, when I was in university. And I have all these photos in an album, like you know, printed photos in an album. Um, and in fact, the little like taglines is, is what I made with my word processor, which is like a typewriter plugged in to electricity. And so I printed these little things that I wrote for myself. Um, but I've had the fortunate experiences of being in Corinth twice, once with some friends and the other time with my family, with once Rob was in my world with my parents, with my brother, and my sister-in-law. Um, so this is one of them. It's, there's a, a new part of Corinth, like sort of like the city now, and then there's the ancient part called Acro or Agro. Some of you are nodding. You've been there too. Um, and so that's me. And then uh, the, the ticket to get into the ancient part where all the ruins are cost $2 at the time, 500 drachma. And uh, go ahead. And you can see, it's crazy beautiful. So this particular view um, is towards inland. Uh, and then on the, in the other direction, there's sort of a city view. And in the third direction, it sends you out to the water. So there's uh, the Gulf of Corinth there. It is, in my opinion, the most beautiful city in the world. That's how it ranks for me. Um, and then also, um, so this is one of the views, again, towards the inland area, sort of another direction. But then I also thought it was pretty cool that um, growing up there are poppies. And um, so I have this dried poppy that was given to me uh, by somebody at that time. And I just thought, what a beautiful fluke that we're talking about Remembrance Day this weekend. And also in Corinth, there is a plethora of poppies that grow. So... Um, That's a neat connection. So I was excited to read this section again in the Bible and to study it again. I did one year of Bible college, and in that year, we studied Corinthians. It was one of the courses I took. So I feel like as I reread it, I was reminded again of all the stuff I learned about it a long time ago. So again, the writer is Paul, and he uh, is writing quite emphatically at times, sometimes with humor, sometimes with passion, sometimes with regret, um, this particular letter to a church in the city of Corinth. And the section that we're looking at is in the first first chapter. So I'm going to start by reading this section, which is the major section we're going to focus on, and then I'm going to touch down in another moment as well. So this one, um, at the beginning of the letters, they sign them first, the way that we would put our salutation at the end. They always signed at the beginning. And so Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. I'm taking a guess on the spelling, but that's the province. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. It's a very pastoral letter, right? Really speaking from the leadership to the community. In the second part of chapter one, I didn't put it up here, but I just want to touch down on it for a minute. He speaks about how he had planned to come and visit them, but then he canceled his plans. It's a little bit cryptic. It's a little bit like drama. I don't know. I couldn't come because I had so many feelings and there was something going on. And we don't actually know the details of what was happening in the church at the time. But in the second chapter, they go on to say a little bit more about, I think, somebody who's just really screwed up. And the verses are here. Now, regarding that one who started all this, the person in question who's caused all the pain, I want you to know that I'm not the one injured in this as much as with a few exceptions, all of you. So I don't want to come down too hard. What the majority of you agreed to as punishment is punishment enough. And now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well drown him. So my counsel now is to pour on the love. And then a little bit further, Paul says, I forgive him, so don't think I'm carrying around a lot of personal grudges. The fact is that I'm joining in with your forgiveness as Christ is with us, guiding us. And after all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. So on one sense, I feel like I could just pack it up and you could apply that to your lives and we could be done today, right? That's a lot of really interesting stuff around responding to somebody who's caused you pain, figuring out how to process through that, and then pouring on love. Those are lots of steps. Maybe that takes you 10 years, right? But uh, it's a really great example. And I love this book for its instruction to us. But for right now, we're going to go into a little bit more in terms of the first section, which is that God is a comforter and that he is the father of all compassion. And within that, I'd like to tell some stories that give some examples of how I've experienced him and some of uh, people that I know have experienced him in this way. Um, so first of all, let's just sort of give a, um, a tight little statement that defines the theology that we're working in here, the way that we think about God. So what we know now is that God is a father of compassion, that he is a God of healing counsel, that he comforts so that we can comfort. So there's an intern, there's a pouring out of that. And that we know that Jesus Christ himself suffered in so many ways. But as an example, he was lied about and lied to. 
He was disappointed. He lost friends and family in conflict. He was unjustly treated. He experienced pain and gruesome death. And that is Jesus, who we worship. And so within that, uh, God doesn't comfort us so that we can just go back to being happy. He comforts us so that we can act out from a place of compassion and comfort for other people. In our weaknesses, we can share the comfort or healing or counsel that we ourselves have received. And so I asked two questions of this theology. One, how does God comfort? And two, what if we lose hope? What if we don't feel like we get this? So um, I'll answer the second one first. When we lose hope, uh, uh, I think sometimes it would be easy to isolate ourselves. But the best scenario would be to throw a lifeline where you can, right? And see who might pull you up. And so I feel like that could be done in so many ways, but it's certainly done through friendship. And maybe it's with your spouse, or maybe it's with your family members. Uh, it's possibly through books, or podcasts, or songs on the radio. It's definitely through counseling, and it's sometimes and definitely done through medication. And so these are all good things where there can be hope poured out to us. In the spring, summer of 2015, I got uh, a bout of depression, and I describe it like my friend does, where it's like the cloud came and sat on top of me. And one of the things that got me through that was I went to my doctor, and then he would say, very good, see you in two days. And then after that, very good, see you in two days. And I came in for these tiny little appointments that just made me think like I could just do two days and I would be checked in on again. Really, really encouraging. So we want to do that for each other. Um, so some examples of God's comfort in our community. Uh, the first, there, there's sort of um, four major categories that I've divided this into about like when I ask the question, how does God comfort us? I've landed it into four categories. The first one is through faith. The second one is in the Holy Spirit. The third is in community. And the fourth is in Bible or prayer or words. So with the text being the word or something else. I'll use some examples. Let's start with the first one. Uh, I sent out to some of the people that I know who have endured a lot of suffering um, how it is that they've experienced God, God's comfort. So my first example is with my sister-in-law. Her name is Randa. She's married to my brother, whose name is Mike. Uh, uh, let's see. So Randa and Mike got married around the same time that Rob and I did, so it's like 20-something years now. And uh, we uh, got pregnant around the same time too, and we're expecting our firstborns at the same time. Yes, we're very connected. <laughs> um, and when we were both pregnant with Derek and with um, their daughter, who's Annie, Randa's family was killed in a car accident. And that was her mom, Elmira, her sisters, Carrie and Jill. 
and then also um, Carrie's boyfriend. So, note to self, don't look at your dad in the rest of the talk. This will not go well. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> um, so, uh, they were traveling back from Camp Caroline, which would be our equivalent of like Keats or Anvil or Green Bay, um, and they had been working there. And so, it was a random, terrible car accident. Um, and so, obviously, uh, so Randa's dad remains and Randa, and then a beautiful collection of aunties and uncles from a really big family. Um, and so I asked Randa, how does God comfort you? And she downplays it and acts like it's, uh, that acts like it, you know, she's like, oh, I don't know, you know, whatever. That's because that's who she is. Um, but this, she also said this, I knew and I believed and had faith that life would carry on. Yeah, it's crappy, but God was still with me. And she speaks of not having a particularly like, oh, kind of moment, but instead a deep, steady faith that carried her through. And in her weakness, of course, she speaks, uh, uh, she has more empathy for other people. And uh, she says sometimes a, a more awareness, a consciousness of what suffering might be for other people. And she further says, I knew I'd be okay. So that is the gift of a deep, deep-rooted faith in Jesus. I have another friend who, in the midst of disappointment, speaks in a similar kind of way. And she says, in the hard spaces, I sensed a spiritual depth that no matter what, when it was full of disaster and when it wasn't, that I was going to be okay. And I sensed a provision of kindness as I healed and recovered. So those are sort of a little bit undescribable, I think, some of those experiences, but I think it has to do with our faith. Uh, specifically in the area of the Holy Spirit, which of course is well connected in all this, and you'll remember from previous teachings that the Holy Spirit is known as the Comforter, that's the nickname. Um, another friend said this, in the middle, oh sorry, for her she has had two experiences where suddenly her health is gone and it's quite life-threatening. In the middle of life-threatening health issues, in those lonely hours when the darkness of the night threatens to close in on me and dictate all my feelings, I have felt a supernatural, enveloping comfort. I base my testimony of this comfort on God, which has transcended my most awful circumstances. And this is like a person six months ago, right? This isn't 2,000 years ago. And there tends to be a holiness among brokenness. Uh, I have a story of my own in this as well. Uh, when my firstborn, so Derek's here, he is 16, and, uh, and he told me I'm allowed to talk about this story. But it's mostly my story at the moment, not really his. Um, when I had my firstborn, Derek, I knew nothing about birth and babies, and uh, everything about that birth was quite terrible. <laughs> um, and not only was the birth itself quite terrible, but then um, he was not thriving when he first arrived. And so in a series of uh, circumstances in the first 24 hours, he was taken from sitting with me at St. Paul's Hospital to BC Children's Hospital, put in a little incubator, and wheeled down a hall into an ambulance, and off he went. 
So um, uh, at that time, I was lying in the hospital bed, and a nurse came into the room and stood opposite my bed. The door's over here. She's here. I'm here. And she said to me, um, so he's going to be okay. And what I need you to remember is... And then she told me some stuff that I think is TMI, too much information for sharing in a church. But if it was a women's retreat, I would tell you the whole thing. And um, you can ask me afterwards if you want to know what she said, because it's a simple thing. So as a result, um, I signed a 1,000 papers to check myself out of St. Paul's, and I followed Derek to to BC Children's and um, started on a journey of discovering what it meant to to be a mom and what the things were that I needed to do. Um, Derek had major surgery as in, uh, nine days later, and then we've had sort of a journey of some medical stuff with him over the years. But um, in processing that, I went back to St. Paul's so that I could express gratitude to the people that had helped me. And so I went back to the uh, labor and delivery desk to speak to Karen, who was this nurse who came to talk to me. But Karen doesn't exist. Uh, She was blonde, plump, apple-shaped, short bob haircut, about 40. But she doesn't exist. (laughs) But she for sure was there and spurred me on into having hope and uh, getting through it. So there's a certain holiness in something that happened there. Um, As a result, I also want to add that um, I was not a baby person. Uh, Those of you that know me now know I'm a total baby person. But I wasn't at the time, I was not a young woman who dreamed of white wedding dresses and holding babies. Um, But as a result, I changed. And uh, not only did I become a doula so that I could support women, but I also um, have a deep, deep care and compassion for women learning to be mothers and for babies. So there's also comfort not only in faith and in the Holy Spirit, but also in community. I have another friend, Michelle, who I grew up with. Um, You know, like you have like your family friends and everybody does holidays together all your life kind of thing. And Michelle and I are a year apart. And she got married to Sean about a year after Rob and I got married. And then months after that, Sean got a great big illness. Um, It was called TB meningitis, and it turned into hydrocephalus, and then it turned into a series of strokes. And now he is permanently brain damaged. So um, that's very early in a marriage for something to go horribly wrong. Um, It was very traumatizing for all the people that were involved. Um, But I asked Michelle, I said, how does God comfort you? And so she said, when things were very life and death, which was those first few months, um, in the hospital, she would get news about, you know, whatever the medical update was for the moment, and then she would run to the phone and call out to the prayer chain in her church. Um, And so that was part of her routine and it buoyed her up and no doubt it changed the outcomes. So a sense of um, community responding and being around and being with 
somebody in, in a traumatic situation. Um, not only that, but um, a few months after that, because they were so early in their marriage, Sean's parents came back and said, well, we're taking him back. You don't get to care for him. And then they wanted to take her to court to make that happen. That was crazy. Um, and so I said to Michelle, how did God comfort you in that? And so she said that she spent every evening going through the Bible, finding passages about wives. She'd only been married five or six months, but she looked for every passage that said, what should a wife be like? And she prayed them. And in a very dramatic, full story, uh, Sean's parents changed their mind. And Michelle has been with him ever since. So it's been about 20 years of caring and loving Sean, and he has far exceeded the life expectancy that was put before him. And Michelle says, the only explanation was clinging to Jesus's words of comfort and answered prayer. So my last example is my friend Margaret, who used to come to our church and who um, who I asked this as well, how does God comfort you? And Margaret said that immediately something comes to mind for her, which was that um, they, uh, Scott and Margaret lived in Edgemont Village for a long time and were part of our community, but then they decided to move to Fort Langley. And in that move, which of course was hard, replanting re their kids in elementary schools and new community and all of that, um, she said that she would be driving somewhere and this song called Home would come on the radio. It's by Philip Phillips. Philip Phillips is a, um, a Tennessean and he was one of the winners of American Idol, if you remember that. Um, he's a very, uh, very interesting lyrics in his music. So I'm gonna play for you just a little bit of um, the song that I believe God put in the radio for Margaret to hear on a regular basis. Hold on to me as we go As we roll down this unfamiliar road And although this wave is stringing us along Just know you're not alone I'm gonna make this place your home. Awesome. I think it's pretty great. Uh, N.T. Wright writes in his commentary for 2 Corinthians, the whole idea of the word comfort is that one person is being with another, speaking words, which change their mood and situation, that give them courage, new hope, new direction, new insights that will alter the way they face the next moment, the next day, or the rest of their life. And when you put that in all together in a bottle and shake it up and pour it out for someone who's in the middle of deep suffering, the best word that we can come up with to describe the effect is comfort. 
So that's it. I hope that uh, if there is a place right now where you need the comfort of God, that you would ask somebody to pray for you this morning. I'll go over here. Maybe some of the elders could too, and that's an opportunity while we're singing. Um, But also that you uh, remember that some of your own trauma or suffering could be a process that heals in you and allows you to care for others, and that that would be Jesus among us. Amen.